many years ago, a small boy was asked to describe forgiveness. This might seem like a difficult thing for a young child, but on this occasion, the young man was able to give a quick answer. The young man who was asked to describe forgiveness said, Forgiveness is the odor that a flower breathes when it's trampled on. Now think about that. What's forgiveness? The young boy says, It is the odor. It is the smell that a flower breathes when it's trampled on. I'm not sure whether or not this child came up with um, this on his own or maybe he received help from someone else. Maybe he had heard it from someone else. But in either case, the observation made by this boy, the illustration he offered, reminds us that forgiveness is a great thing. And it is something that is usually associated with pain. As we continue to study some things related to church history, we now have come to the time where we want to think about forgiveness. Many years after the New Testament church was established, men, human beings, decided that they were going to come up with a special priesthood. And within this special priesthood, men began to practice some things that we do not find taught or authorized by the Bible. There were, as far as the denominational priests, there were people who came up with the idea that we will not only have a priesthood that's not authorized by the Bible, but with this priesthood we will use men who will be able to have and pronounce that sins are forgiven. As you go back and you look at church history, you find that people taught that if a believer was drawn into some kind of sin, people were taught that repentance and confession were not enough. Now the Bible says if we become a Christian and when we fall into sin, repentance and confession are what God requires. But as you go back and you look at church history, you find that denominational men offered an alternative plan. As you go back and look at what was done, you find that a man-made priesthood was first used to determine whether or not people were really sorry for their sins. Imagine falling into sin, uh, entering into a state of apostasy, and you have to go before a man, or you have to go before a group of men, and they check you out to see whether or not they, in their mind, believe that you are really sorry. As this process unfolded, the humanly appointed priest would then tell people what they needed to do to quote-unquote be forgiven of the sins. In other words, that humanly appointed priest would appoint various things for you to do. They might say, well, this is the task. This is a fine that you need to pay. Or you do X number of good works. Or you perform these services for this religious group. And then come back to us. And if you've done all that we've told you to do, then we will say that you have had your sins forgiven. Then there was also this practice, which if we've watched some TV or if we've known some people from some religious groups we've probably seen or been made aware of. There was, as time passed, the erroneous practice of anointing a person just before death so that sins could be forgiven. If you've watched some of the old MASH episodes, you may remember the uh, quote-unquote priest there, the fellow who was referred to as Father Mulcahy, who would come in and administer the last rites, and that's featured in a lot of movies and TV shows. Uh, But men, when it comes to forgiveness, came up with a lot of ideas not found in the Bible. This morning, if you have seen the outline, which I know is abbreviated compared to most days, but we want to investigate what the Bible says about forgiveness. Does the Bible talk about forgiveness? Is this a subject that we read about in the New Testament, the Old Testament, or both? Is there a little information in the Bible about forgiveness? Or is this a topic that the Bible has a great deal to say about as we say to the Scriptures? We may not be aware of it, but do you know that if you study the Bible and you look at the topic of forgiveness, you would find that there are seven distinct words, seven different words to describe forgiveness in the Bible. Well, when you have seven different words to describe the same thing, it's probably going to be an important topic in the Bible. Four of these words are going to be found in the Greek New Testament. Three of the words are Hebrew terms. 
when we deal with the subject of forgiveness, we find that we have a very broad topic. It goes in a lot of different directions. But as we delve into this topic, we find that we can really break it down into two categories. Category number one is, here's man, here's God. And the Bible sometimes, oftentimes, often talks about God forgiving man. That's the first basic category. The second basic category really doesn't so much deal with God, it deals with human relationships. One person or one group forgiving another person or another group. We want to, this morning, explore both of these chief or main topics as far as the heading of forgiveness, but we first maybe need to define what forgiveness is. When we talk about God forgiving man, what are we saying? What does that mean when the Bible says that God can or will or does forgive man? When we talk about forgiving another individual from you to me or me to you or friend to friend, enemy to enemy, what do we mean when we use the word forgiveness? Illustrations like what was said concerning the young man can be helpful. But we want to make sure that we study what the Bible says when it comes to the subject of forgiveness. If you already have an outline, you may have turned over to the book of Psalms, Psalm 85. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 in just a moment. As I read Psalm 85, verses 1 through 3, I'd like you to look for some of these ideas. Look for the idea in Psalm 85 that forgiveness is the cessation. Forgiveness, the Bible tells us, is the termination of resentment for wrongs and offenses. When we think about forgiveness, we're talking about an act which means that fences are going to be mended. Broken relationships are going to be restored. And as we're going to hear in just a moment from Psalm 85 verses 1 through 3, forgiveness means the removal of guilt. Forgiveness means the covering of sin. Forgiveness may even mean that anger is being held back. Forgiveness in Bible terms, means that we are taking that slate of wrongs and we're wiping it clean, we're expunging it in the fullest possible sense. In fact, as I read Psalm 85 verses 1 through 3, listen for the word all. Jehovah, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast, there's our word, thou hast forgiven the iniquity or the sin of thy people. Thou hast covered not only sin, but the text says thou hast covered all their sin. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Just the first three verses of this psalm provide us with some great information about forgiveness. If we are the one who's being forgiven, we receive a great blessing. If we're the one doing the forgiving, sometimes we're on the other side of the fence. Psalm 85 verses 1 through 3 suggests it's going to take some work. It's going to cost us something. Being willing to forgive usually involves some effort. There is... Turning here as well to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 44, we're going to be pulling not only from the 44th chapter, but also from the first chapter of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 44, we once again have some great information about forgiveness. In just a moment, I'm going to be reading Isaiah chapter 44, verse 22. But before I read that 22nd verse from Isaiah 44, I want to show you what follows. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 23, we have these words. Sing. Sing, O ye heavens, for Jehovah has done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains. O forest and every tree therein, for Jehovah has redeemed Jacob and will glorify himself in Israel. Now, why that praise? Why call on the mountains? Why call on the trees? Why call on the lower parts of the earth? Here's the reason, backing up one verse. Verse 22 of Isaiah 44. I have blotted out, that's a way of saying forgiven. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins return to me, for I have redeemed thee. 
talking about the people of Jerusalem, God looked at those people and said, I've paid the price. I've dealt with your sins. God said the sins described in this chapter, and this is true of every sin, but sin creates a bill, it creates a debt. And in Isaiah 44, verse 22, God said, I've paid the debt. I've taken care of the bill. Oh, praise God for that Isaiah 44, verse 23. The God of the Old Testament is also the God of the New Testament. And when we begin to look at some information about God in the New Testament, we begin to find the same message as we find in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 22. The sins men commit, they are crimes. Crimes against God. And if a man has any hope whatsoever of spending eternity with God, he's got to be forgiven of those crimes. Those sins must be expunged. God has looked down on sinful man and says, I've got a solution. I'm able to pay the bill. I want to pay the bill. Psalm 85 and Isaiah 44 are helpful passage, are helpful passages. But you know, they are not nearly as graphic as what we find in the first chapter of Isaiah. If you want to follow along this morning and you don't want to follow along too much, at least I would encourage you to turn back to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah 1 is one of the great chapters in the Old Testament where we speak, where we find information about forgiveness. And you're probably familiar with Isaiah 1 verse 18. This, Partway through the chapter says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as wool. Before Isaiah recorded what he did in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, he used some extremely potent and graphic language in Isaiah 1 verses 2 through 17. And as I think about this language, as we read through in just a moment this language, consider, if you will, the times where maybe we as an individual or someone we know has had a situation where they have been wounded so deeply maybe wounded so often for a period of several years and they feel like they just can't forgive. I have lost time, lost count of the times where people in life said to me, I just can't forgive him. I can't forgive them. If you knew what they did to me, you can't imagine what they did to me and I will never forgive them. Ever hear anybody say that? Next time you hear those words, turn back to Isaiah. Just the first chapter, just the beginning of the book. And see how deeply God was wounded. Let's look at it now. The wounds inflicted on God. Isaiah 1 verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For Jehovah has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they've rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity. A seed of evildoers. Children that deal corruptly. They have forsaken Jehovah. They despise the Holy One of Israel. They are estranged. They're gone backward. Verse 5. Why will ye still be stricken? And ye revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even under the head there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and fresh stripes. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with oil. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour in your presence, and it's desolate, as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in the vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except Jehovah of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom, we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of Jehovah, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God. Ye people of Gomorrah, what unto me is the multitude 
of your sacrifices, saith Jehovah. I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand? To trample my courts. Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling assemblies, I cannot. Away with iniquity and the solemn meaning. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hate. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary of bearing them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you to make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. And then in verse 17, Learn to do well. Seek justice. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Now as you look at verses 2-17 through of this chapter, my question is, how many dozens, how many hundreds, how many thousands, how many tens of thousands, how many hundreds of thousands of sins are we dealing with in Isaiah 1? Verses 2-17. through It's a bunch. And as we look at this information, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Imagine the person who comes along and says, I can't forgive. If you only knew what they did to me, if you had been treated in this way, there is no way that you would ever even think about forgiving them. Isaiah 1. How deeply had God been wounded? God said He had been wounded to the point where He didn't even want to hear from the people. And yet, after all this, after all maybe the hundreds of thousands of sins that we just read about here, what did God say? He said, I don't want to hear from you. But there was hope. God says, if you'll change, I want to hear from you. I want to give you forgiveness if you're just willing to turn things around. Notice that 18th verse that we alluded to earlier. Come now. God says, I'm offended, but I also want to fix it. Come now. And let's reason together, saith Jehovah. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Not just cleaned up a little bit. Let's brush off some of the blood. God says no. I want to make it white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as or like wool. God offered forgiveness to his people. And that tells us that his forgiveness is great. When we need an example as far as forgiveness, it's right here. Psalm 85, Isaiah 44, and certainly Isaiah chapter 1. Deity has the power to forgive sins. The Bible tells us that in a lot of places. Mark 2 verse 10 being one of those passages. And it's a power that God can use and will use. But for God to forgive us, something has to occur. Notice, if you've turned over to Isaiah chapter 1, what we find now in verses 19 and 20. That first word, if. That's probably most of the translations represented here today, and that's the key word. God says if. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. I'll forgive you. I'll help you. I'll restore you. Then verse 20. Notice that word if again, the conditional statement. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of Jehovah has spoken it. When it comes to God, forgiveness is a great and powerful tool. Now someone might say, well, now let's see. Um, I understand what's being laid out, what's being presented about forgiveness, but I want to know if God's forgiveness is really this great. Now we saw back there in Psalm 85, verse 2, that God spoke about forgiving all sin. That sounds pretty exhaustive. Sometimes we'll say all or everyone, but we really don't mean all or everyone. 
Was God exaggerating? Was God kidding? Was God overstating things when he said, I will forgive all sin? Well, let's see. In the New Testament, it's a passage we're familiar with, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Listen to what the Apostle John said concerning forgiveness. If, didn't we just see that in Isaiah 1? If there's that condition, if we confess our sins, He, that's God, is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sins. And then we come back to that little word all. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word if tells us that salvation is conditional. God says, it's here, it's available, I want to give it. But you've got to comply with my terms. The word confess is also a word that indicates God's forgiveness comes with some conditions. John says, if we're willing to do that, then God is faithful every single time. Not sometimes, not half the time, not most of the time, but every single time. God's righteous, John says. When it comes to forgiving sins, He is not going to fail. He will always do what's right. All unrighteousness can be cleansed. Today, if people are willing to become Christians and truly live as a child of God, the Bible says all unrighteousness can be and will be forgiven. No exceptions to that. Someone says, now, now wait a minute. I think I read one time about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's over there, I think, in Matthew chapter 12, someone says. Well, it is in Matthew chapter 12. But we're not going to look at that in any detail today, but suffice it to say that when we talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that's simply a way of saying that someone rejects Christ. Here's a person who rejects his message. Here's a person who says, I want nothing to do with God. Well, if you make those choices, guess what? You're going to be lost. But can the person turn? Yes, come, let's reason together, Isaiah chapter 1. And even with that blasphemy, if you're willing to turn, there's hope, there's salvation. God's forgiveness sounds really, really good, and it's something I think that everybody wants. When we look at forgiveness, though, in the Bible, we find that it's not a one-way street. It's not a one-sided coin. The Bible says that there is a second side to this. But sometimes people, they just want the fun stuff. They say, oh, give me the blessings, but as far as responsibility, I don't want to do anything. Certainly when it comes to forgiveness, I do not want to extend that to the same degree that God extends that to me. Well, God says to mankind, there are two sides to forgiveness. There's my side, comply with my terms and I'll forgive you. But God also says there is forgiveness between people. And this is also something that needs to be taught and practiced. You may remember that when Jesus gave the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, instructed us as far as some things to pray about, some things to include in our prayers, not a pattern in the sense that we say those exact words. But one of the things that he specifically addressed in that prayer is found in Matthew chapter 6 verse 12. He talked about forgiveness. And if you go back and you look at that prayer, looking at the exact wording is right because Jesus taught us to pray that we ask for God's forgiveness as like in the same way that we have forgiven others. If there is a passage taught by Jesus that should scare the pants off people, this is it. Matthew 6 verse 12 is a passage which should terrify some folks. Imagine someone saying to God, God forgive me, but you forgive me in the same way that I've forgiven my enemy. I suggest there are a lot of people that would not want to pray like that, do not want to pray like that, and wish that that kind of passage is not in the Bible and maybe they just hide their sins, uh, hide their heads in the sand and pretend that it doesn't exist, but it's there. When I think about forgiveness, I'm old enough now to know that there are people who have carried grudges for 50 or more years. I've seen some people who picked up a grudge in the teenage years and they carried it until the time that they died. 70, 80, 
90 years later. There have been family feuds where people for generations have held grudges. God says when we deal with the subject of forgiveness, He's liberal, He's generous, He's big-hearted, He's eager to forgive. And He says to us, I've given you the model. I've given you a pattern. And then, I know several have turned over to Matthew chapter 6, probably already looked at verse 12, but as we think about this part of Jesus' sermon, He also went on to say something else in conjunction with forgiveness. Matthew chapter 6, looking now at the information in verses 14 and 15. He says, for if, that word just keeps popping up, doesn't it? For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But then there's the information in verse 15. For if ye forgive not, if you refuse to forgive men their trespasses, Jesus makes a promise. He says, don't expect forgiveness from God. The Father will not forgive you. Now, as we look at the life of Christ, his teachings on various things and forgiveness we find, later in the Lord's ministry, that the subject of forgiveness comes up again. You may remember that over there, same book, Matthew chapter 18 in this case, the Apostle Peter comes along and he, as on other occasions, is pretty bold. He asks the Lord a question. The Apostle comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? If he sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Well, Peter not only asks the question, he also proposed an answer. Uh, several translations, and the answer probably stunned Peter, but several translations of Matthew 18, verse 22, will say 70 times 7. The New, uh, New International Version, and maybe a couple others, will uh, say 77 times. And the reason for that difference, it's not a discrepancy, but the word that's used there is used only one time in the New Testament. It's a difficult word, so translators vary a little bit. The majority of translations uh, seem to think that 490 times 70 times 7 is the better way to go, but you do find some that opt for 77. Now, whether you take 490 or whether you think that 77 is the right definition for that word, it really doesn't matter because the point is the same. If forgiveness is truly needed, if forgiveness is truly sought, it needs to be granted. That's how God deals with us. That's how God says that we need to deal with people. If you've ever think that forgiveness is just too hard, Isaiah 1 is a great passage to go back to in the Old Testament. But a New Testament passage that we might want to consider is also there in Matthew chapter 18. And it's towards the end of the chapter. Here Jesus gives a story about a fellow who was forgiven of a very small uh, big debt. And this fellow goes out and finds somebody who owed him virtually nothing. And how that fellow treated the guy who owed him virtually nothing after he'd been forgiven what would be equivalent to a multi-million dollar debt. Jesus sums it up in verses 32 through 35. Final verses in Matthew 18. Then his Lord called unto him. And this is the guy that wasn't willing to forgive that small amount. And saith to him, Thou wicked servant. Notice that. God says if we're not willing to forgive, we are wicked people. I forgave thee how much? Multi-million dollar debt. I forgave thee all. Because thou besought. You ask me. Shouldest not thou also have had mercy on thy fellow servant even as I had mercy on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due. Here's a conclusion, verse 35. So shall also my heavenly Father do unto you, if, there's that word again, if ye forgive not every brother from your hearts. If I read Jesus' teaching correctly, and I believe that I do, refusing to forgive someone will send a person to hell. Jesus said, Forgiveness for everyone and from the heart. I don't think it's too off, too far off to suggest that refusing to forgive will lead someone to hell. 
just as easily and just as surely as being a murderer. As I look at the Bible, I also find something else. Failing to forgive, Jesus presents that sin as something that will nullify or perhaps hinder our prayers. You may remember from the book of Mark, chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus talks about praying. In this case, the posture that is described there is standing. That's not the posture that we have to have. But Jesus says, when you stand, and as you're standing when you pray, he says there in Mark 11, verse 26, if you do not forgive, don't expect God to forgive you. You will not be forgiven. One of the hard, but certainly one of the very effective tests to determine whether or not we are truly trying to serve Christ, whether or not we're one of his people is how we deal with the subject of forgiveness. When forgiveness is needed, one party, the person that was offended, may feel like that trampled flower that was mentioned earlier. That party may feel like they've been stepped on. That party may feel like they've been ground into the ground and completely crushed. But like that squash flower that emits that beautiful smell, at least some of them do, such is also true for forgiveness. Do we need to forgive someone? Did we come here this morning with anger and hate and malice in our heart? If we did, let's not wait another day. We may or may not be able to fix that problem today, but if it's something that needs to be delayed for a while, let's try to fix it as soon as possible. And then let that smell, if you will, from the crushed flower come forward. Let's think about whether or not we need to forgive someone. And think about that question now as we stand and sing.